morning. That is brilliant. We've just got, uh, we've got new radios this last week for our team, which is great. So for our security team, car park team, host team, um, which is fantastic. We've uh, had old radios for a long time. They've been breaking and falling apart. So we've finally got new ones. And, um, you know, I mean, we all love to hear from God, right? We all love to hear from God, which is awesome. And uh, I was in the office on Monday morning. Uh, I was the first one here, as it turned out, as I'm in my office doing some work. And um, someone had forgot to turn one of the radios off. And unbeknownst to me, a passing courier van uh, was making a call and it jumped onto one of our radios. So I'm just in my office, just, you know, spending some time with the Lord and doing some work. And all of a sudden I hear, yeah, yeah, no, no, good as God, mate, good as God, I'll be there in just a couple of minutes. (laughs) I I honestly didn't expect the second coming to be announced in quite that fashion. But um, I realized I was not alone, so it took me a while to, uh, to work out where the person was hiding. And it turned out it was just the radio, which hadn't been turned on, but... But, um, you know, it's great. <laughs> I already feel God wants to encourage um, some people here today, and I hope the word does. But also, I just want to just speak to that gentleman just down there who came up for a country hour in the blue. Um, I, I just really feel the Lord uh, wants to say to you, sir, that whatever you're doing, just keep on going. Keep on going. Don't slow down. God's got good things ahead for you. And whatever it is that, that's pushing you forward, the decisions that you're making in this season of your life are good decisions. Don't slow down. Don't stop. God has good things ahead for you. Be encouraged. Keep going. All right? I just felt that we want to share that with you, which is just great. So awesome. We're going to get into the word this morning. Um, so welcome to everybody. Kia ora. Nihau. Anyong haseo. Lovely to have everyone here. And the last, uh, last week, we had Pastor Shane sharing. And now I get to do the very last one in our Ten Commandments series. I think this is the longest series we've ever done. And we find ourselves right at the start, at the beginning of the Ten Commandments, And let me recap a little bit of what has led us here. So God saved the fledgling nation of Israel through Joseph. Joseph was one of 12 sons of a man called Jacob, or known as Israel. Uh, He had been sold into slavery, and he ultimately became the prime minister of Egypt. And as a result of that, was able to save his whole family. His whole family moved to Egypt, and over the next four centuries became a nation of millions in Egypt. However, they were enslaved there in that place. And God heard their cries for deliverance and raised up a prophet, a deliverer by the name of Moses. God, through Moses, turned the heart of Pharaoh through 10 spectacular supernatural plagues um, that harmed Egypt, but not the people of Israel. And so finally, Pharaoh, Pharaoh was convinced and let his entire labor force Go and they walked out of the nation. Then, just shortly after they'd left, Pharaoh's heart changed and he decided he wanted his labor force back after all. So he sent his army after them, the greatest army at the time on the face of the planet. And God protected the nation of Israel, led them ultimately through the Red Sea, parted the way for them to enter, uh, to, to get out of that place and on their way to the land that God had promised them. And then God drowned the Egyptian army behind them. And then God led them in the desert, protecting them, providing them with water, with food from heaven every day, with clothes that did not wear out. And then, after doing all of this and placing the promised land in front of them and saying, I'm going to lead you to this place, then God gifts them as a nation uh, the Ten Commandments. And you've got to realize that this is a nation who have lived under Uh, generational slavery. They had no concept of what it was to live free, to have autonomy, to be able to make decisions for themselves. They had no idea of what that was all about. And so God gave them these wonderful and powerful guidelines for living. 
That is the Ten Commandments. And the very first one that God gave them is this, Exodus chapter 20, verses 2 and 3. I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. Now, you know, when I, when I spend time looking at this, what struck me most is why? Why would these people have any gods before the Lord? I mean, it just seems crazy, right? God had done astonishing things for them. He had saved them. He delivered them by miracle after miracle. He had protected them. He had provided for them. I mean, seriously, who's competing against that? What does any other God have to offer? I remember one time I had an experience a number of years ago, and uh, it must have been, I'm not sure if it was a Friday or a Saturday, but it was my day off, and, uh, and I was just about to head out of the house, jump in the car, and head into Botany to do something. I can't remember what it was. But literally, as I'm gathering my things and heading out of the house, there was a knock at the door. And I'm like, oh, no, I just don't have time. I wonder who this is. And I go to the door, and it happens to be a Mormon missionary. So that was fine, except that I knew he had nothing to interest me with, and I knew that I had to go. And so I, I said hello to him, and then I said, sir, I just need to stop you. I just need to say something to you before I go. You need to realize I'm in a hurry. So I just want to say this. I said, sir, I have a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Because of what he did on the cross by faith, my sins are forgiven, and I'm in a right place with God. He has given me his Holy Spirit to comfort me, fill me, and to lead me. And, and, and I talk with him every day. I have a relationship with him. And when I die, I know I'm going to be in heaven with him. I have full assurance of that because I know that I'm saved by grace and not by works. Sir, God loves me, and he is with me. Let me ask you one question. What do you have to offer me? And the man looked at me, and he turned, and he walked back down my driveway. I think of those Israelites, and I have to say, what did any other God possibly have to offer them? That God would say to them, first of all, don't have any other gods in front of me. Yet we know, don't we? The fickleness of human nature, how affected we are by sin, and so knowing our propensity towards unfaithfulness, which would destroy the very essence of the relationship we have with God, which is by trust, God gave that command. It's the very first command. It's in first place. It needs to be practiced first. You see, order is important. And this commandment really is all about relationship, right? Relationship with God. Everything else flows from this. Without this, it's just a bunch of rules that people have to follow. And so in this first command, the Lord frames it by talking about himself and his relationship with Israel and, and by proxy with us as well. So he says, I am the Lord, which refers to the name of the Lord, the Tetragrammaton Yahweh, uh, which, is, which essentially means that God is saying that he is the self-existent and eternal God, the creator of all. And then he says, I'm the Lord, your God. He is a personal God. And then thirdly, who brought you out of Egypt. He leads his people. And then it says, out of the land of slavery, he is the one who offers true freedom. And this is the astonishing thing, that this God who created the heavens, who is the eternal and self-existent one, he is the one who comes and says, I want a relationship with you. 
This is, this is part of the heart of the gospel, this understanding that God wants a relationship with us. And he says, I'll be yours and you will be mine. And I will lead you to a promised land, a better place. And I will bring you from slavery to freedom. And then he gives the commandment, but you must have no other gods before me. So, so we need to talk then about other gods. What are these things that could so threaten this relationship that God had to say this? Well, other gods are anything essentially in life that you worship, that you relate to first above all else. Anything else that makes the decisions for you, that you get direction from. Anything that you think offers you freedom. I remember once being called, our church was called by a um, a family who had heard about our church and they said, hey, look, we've got some weird things happening in our house. We need you to come and do like an exorcism or whatever it is you do in in the house. And I said, look, that's no problem. We can do that. Look, are you you believers? And they said, yes, yes, we are. Yes, we are. So we went into their house and we prayed through the house. But as we prayed through the house, the one thing I noticed that was intriguing was they had these little kind of idols, little trinkets in different places around the house. And I said, what are those for? She said, oh, they're just for good luck. They're for protection from bad spirits. I wanted to say, well, how's that going for you? But, you know, other gods can be anything from gods of false religions to idols that Pastor Shane talked about last week that we sacrifice to in some way to gain favor or blessing or protection. It could be things like money or possessions or success which direct our decisions and seem to offer a life of freedom. The problem is is that none of those offer what God can offer. There is no real power. There is no relationship, there is no leadership, and there is no freedom. In fact, quite often, right, it's actually the reverse. That we see in society that these things tend to bring people into bondage. I mean, I think of people in their love and worship of money and security often end up, don't they? They end up making terrible decisions. You read the stories about them in the paper all the time. People who have made very bad, very unethical decisions end up in the courts or end up losing it all. Or people in their worship of false gods or other religions often find themselves enslaved to customs or practices that only increase their bondage and decrease their freedom. Think of the caste system. Uh, Think of um, bride burning, and, and, and there's all sorts of different forms of that in many, many different religions. Think about honor killings. Think about superstitious practices. I remember years ago, we went on a missions trip to Kalimantan in Borneo, and um, I with another guy, we split half the team. Uh, it was Pastor Bob was leading the team, and half of us had to go out into the jungle, and half of us had to stay in a hotel um, in Kuching, and, and um, Bob very, very graciously allowed me to go into the jungle. Um, and so, I mean, we were, we were in the second-to-last village before the, the track just ended in Virgin Borneo jungle. We were a long way out, and as we were heading out there on a four-wheel drive, the pastor was telling me about some of the animus practices that the believer, that the people out there believed in. And one of them, you see, you see what these people would do is they were, they're living in the jungle. They would go and they would hack a chunk out of the jungle, maybe an acre or something like that. I mean, you could, and as you drive, you could see this, just massive, massive canopy trees and, and, and jungle, and then just like a chunk cut out of it. And they would take months felling these trees, of course, no chainsaws, felling these trees 
and then dragging these trees out and then burning off all the brush. I mean, it would take them months before they could get the land ready so they could then begin to sow it so they could produce a crop which enabled them to live as subsistence farmers. But one of their beliefs, according to one of the animist religions, was that if after burning off the land they found a dead rat on the land, it meant that that land was cursed and could not be used and they would have to go and start all over again just because some stupid rat ran in the wrong direction. Bondage. And then there's the people who have this worship of status and success who will climb the corporate ladder, doing whatever it takes, working monstrous hours, bullying others, making dubious ethical decisions, and sacrificing their children and their marriages in order to get another step up. I remember reading the story of Ray Kroc, the founder of the McDonald's empire, And in his story, at one point he was talking about how he'd had a conversation with his personal assistant. And as, I guess, some sort of illustration for how committed he had been to building the company, he confessed that he had never attended one of his children's birthdays or sports games. And I remember reading that and just going, I don't think I need to read any more of this book because this man has nothing that I want. It was such a tragedy. What an indictment. Think of people that you know who maybe have been very, very successful in worldly terms, but have lost a marriage or even several marriages, have strained relationship with children. And, it, and, and this is not just in the secular arena either. People who have been successful in ministry or church leadership, many have done the same. In fact, Dr. Jordan Peterson, one of the great thinkers of our day, believes that child sacrifice happens as much today as it did 2,000 years ago. It just looks a little different. But he says children are being sacrificed to people's gods every day. So interesting. So what's the, what do we need to know then if we are going to go forward about this whole thing of other gods? Well, let me take you to something the Apostle Paul said when addressing false gods in Ephesus. I'll pick it up in Acts chapter 19. You can read it on the screen. And there arose a great disturbance about the way, which is referring to Christianity. There was a bit of conflict going on about it. A silversmith named Demetrius, who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought in a lot of business for the uh, of Artemis, which brought in a lot of business for the craftsmen there. He called them together along with the workers in related trades, and he says, "You know, my friends, that we receive a good income from this business, and you see and hear how this fellow Paul has convinced and led astray large numbers of people here in Ephesus and in practically the whole province of Asia." He says that gods made by human hands are no gods at all. There is danger, not only that our trade will lose its good name, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis will be discredited and the goddess herself, who was worshipped throughout the province of Asia and the world, will be robbed of her divine majesty. This is what happens. When they heard this, they were furious and began shouting, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians! And soon the whole city was in an uproar. Now, what do we notice from this passage? Number one, we notice that the stated God was Artemis. But number two, what we also notice is that the actual gods were money. Listen to this. You know, my friends, that we receive a good income from this business. That was the driving motivator. That was the one that was bringing direction. Secondly, what was the second God there? Reputation. He says, we're in danger not only that our trade will lose its good name, 
He, they knew that their income was based on having a great reputation and they had to keep that at all costs. And the third God we see here is the God of power. He talks about how the temple of the great God Artemis will be discredited. Um, and the goddess herself, who was worshipped throughout the province of Asia, will be robbed of her divine majesty. Interesting, isn't it? There's a difference between stated gods and actual gods. And it's so important for us to make sure that our stated God really is our actual God. Amen? The third thing we notice from the Scripture is this, is that false gods have to be defended at all cost. Theologian Tim Keller says, threaten a person's idol and they will kill you. This is what happened. When they heard this, they were furious and began shouting. Interesting, isn't it? There's a story about a Japanese warlord called Hideyoshi who ruled over Japan in the late 1500s. He commissioned a colossal statue of Buddha for a shrine in Kyoto. It took 50,000 men five years to build. But this work had scarcely been completed when the earthquake of 1596 brought the roof of the shrine crashing down and wrecked the statue. In a rage, it said that Hideyoshi shot an arrow at the falling, at the falling colossus and shouted, I put you here at great expense and you can't even look after your own temple. Ask yourself a moment, for a moment. What has to be defended at all cost in our culture? Where something is being defended violently or defended mercilessly, and we see both of those happening on social media around certain issues, let me tell you, there's a man-made God somewhere behind it all. You see, there's one God, and there's a billion counterfeits, but they have no power to fulfill what they promise and are, in fact, actually leveraged by the devil, the enemy of our souls, to bring greater bondage than what it was before. And that's why God says, you must have no other gods before me. Keep first things first. Let me ask you this morning, what is before God in your life? What is first if you're really, really honest? Because there are three big areas where we can very easily slip into putting other things before our God. Those three things are our money, our time, and our relationships. So let me ask you this morning, number one, is God first in your finances? How do you know? Well, it's pretty easy, really. Do you give the first portion of your income back to the Lord, to, the, to honor the Lord in some way? The Bible says where your treasure is, your heart will be there also. If God is first in your finances, chances are he will be first in the rest of your life. Second question is, is God first in your schedule? Or how do I know? Again, it's fairly simple. Do you give the first part of your week to the Lord and the first part of your day to the Lord? Is, is Sunday something that you prioritize as much as you can most of the time to say, God, I'm going to go to church not just for me, but also to honor you? Is the first part of your day as much as you can? Is that a point where you take a little bit of time to, to have a quiet time, as Pastor Shane talked about last week, to put God first, to seek Him at the start of your day? You see, the old saying is that time is money. If that's true, then the same principle applies. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. If you make 
room in your day, if you make time in your schedule for God, then chances are you'll have room for him in your heart as well. And then thirdly, is God first in your relationships? How do you know? Well, think about it. Is your relationship and your relationships, are they committed to God? If you're in a committed marriage relationship, do you ever pray together? Do you ever take time to pray for one another? Do you bring your problems to the Lord together? Do you pray for your friends? Do you pray with your friends? Is God first in your relationships? And here's the thing, right? God gives to us the power to choose, and we must make a choice. I love the story of Luciano Pavarotti, the world-famous tenor. In his story, he says that when I was a boy, my father, who was a baker, introduced me to the wonder of song. He urged me to work very hard to develop my voice. There was a professional tenor in my hometown of Medina, Italy, called Arrigo Pola, and he took me as a pupil. And I also enrolled in teacher's college. On graduating, I asked my father, Father, shall I be a teacher or shall I be a singer? Luciano, my father replied, if you try to sit on two chairs, you will fall between them. For life, you must choose one chair. I chose one, Luciano writes. It took seven years of study and frustration before I made my first professional appearance. It took another seven years to reach the Metropolitan Opera. And now I think whether it's laying bricks or writing a book, whatever we choose, we should give ourselves to it. Commitment, he writes. That's the key. Choose one chair. Can I say to us this morning? We must not let our focus on God be distracted by other things. Choose one God, the right one. You know, Joshua said to the people of Israel on this exact issue shortly before he died, after they'd taken possession of the promised land, he said this, Choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But, and many of us know the scripture, as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. And I want to say to you, I want to put first God, God first. Why? Because despite my struggles to put God first and keep God first, because if we're honest in this world, it is a struggle at times. I know from painful experience that his way is better. Forgiveness, God's way, is always better than vengeance, my way. Growth, God's way, is always better than comfort, my way. Kindness, God's way, is always better than callousness, my way. And faith, God's way, is always better than doubt, which is my way. Let me bring us back to these Ten Commandments, to these behaviors, these decisions that are being talked about in this as we come to a close. I mean, why do we lie? We lie to protect ourselves at the heart of it because our trust and our faith isn't in a God who will protect us. Why do we steal? Why do we take things that are not ours? If we're honest, it's kind of to provide for ourselves because we don't have faith or not faith enough in the God who will provide for us. 
Why do we murder? Why do we hate? Why do we hold back forgiveness from people? Well, to avenge ourselves because our faith isn't in a God who we trust will be just for us. And so it goes. You know, if we get the first commandment right, team, then all the others fall into place and make sense. Let me take you through the commandments. Here we go. Number one, put the Lord first and have no other man-made gods. He created you, came for you, and delivered you. And so to the second commandment. So to keep God first, don't make an idol out of anything created. It will only take you away from the Lord. And so to the third commandment, to avoid taking idols, don't take God's name and be empty. Remember we talked about that a few weeks ago. Don't take God's name and be empty of the things of the Lord, but be full of God. And that takes us to the fourth commandment, to be full of God. For goodness sake, take a Sabbath. Take, take, take time to rest and replenish and to honor the Lord. That takes us to commandment number five, to honor the Lord. Likewise, remember to honor your parents who gave you life. And to number six, and so to honor those who gave you life, your parents, do not take a life. Do not murder. <laughs> For they did not murder you and probably want to many times. Do not take a life. And so to number seven, to not murder, to not take a life, do not commit adultery and take the most important human relationship of somebody else. And so to number eight, do not commit adultery, sorry, to not commit adultery, don't take anything at all. Don't steal from anyone. The Lord will provide. And to number nine, to not take anything that isn't yours. Don't lie to yourself or to others. Don't rationalize your sin. And so to number 10, so to not lie and not deceive, don't want what others have. Do not covet. Because if you have the Lord in first place, all things are yours anyway. Let's keep Him first. Let me ask you this morning as we wrap up, who's in first place? And this morning as we're going to stand in a moment, we're going to sing again. Let me ask you, do you need to take a step of faith today and put God back in first place? You know, it's nothing to be ashamed of to, to notice that actually maybe God is not in first place. It's so easy for that to slip in our life and in our world. And the beauty of it is that we simply confess that to Him and receive forgiveness and, and place Him back in first place and reassess what are the decisions that we're making that are causing us to want to relegate him to second place? Are there some man-made gods that you need to call out this morning in your own life? Let's all stand together this morning. We're going to pray. Mighty God, I thank you, Lord, for your astonishing commandments, this wonderful, incredible gift, this grace that you've extended towards us, Lord. And so today, God, we find ourselves reminded again to keep you in first place. God, and we acknowledge all that you've done for us. You've called us into this personal relationship with you. God, you have 
You have led us, God. You direct our lives, God, by your word and by your spirit. God, and you offer us an unfolding freedom in front of us as we live according to your word and obey the leading of your spirit. God, what could anything else offer us that comes close to what you offer us. And so this morning, we confess anything, any man-made God, which of course is no God at all, we confess anything that has slipped into first place when it should not be. God, we take a moment to acknowledge you are the rightful authority in our lives. You are the one who loves us who calls us, who provides for us, who leads us, and who brings us into freedom. So we honor you this morning. In Jesus' name. You know, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, you've never taken that step of putting your faith in Him for salvation. You've never taken that step of trusting Him with your life. I just want to speak to you for a moment. The Bible says in John 3, 16, that for God so loved the world, he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. You know, God loves you and he wants you to know him and experience the plan he has for you. But the Bible says in Romans chapter 3 that all of us have sinned and fallen short of God's glory, of God's standard for our lives. See, it's our sin that, that keeps us separated from knowing God and experiencing him. And that's why Jesus came. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He came and died on a cross to take the punishment for our sin so that we can be free to be forgiven by God. And that's what God offers us, forgiveness. If we will turn and place our trust in Jesus, if we will turn from our old life and follow Him and put Him in first place. The Bible says in John chapter 1 that to all those who received Him, to those who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children when we take that step of faith of receiving Him as our Savior and our Lord, and we repent and turn away from our old way of living, and we follow Him in first place, we become His kids. And that is a wonderful, wonderful offer. Look, if that's you this morning, you've never taken that step, or maybe you have, but you've drifted from it over the years, and it's time for you to get that sorted, to get God back in first place. I'd like to invite you to pray this prayer after me. It's a simple Make this between you and God. That's all that God requires, is that we take a step of faith. We have a conversation with Him. We confess with our lips, with our mouth, that He is God and we will follow Him. So if that's you, I invite you to just pray this prayer right where you are, in your heart, between you and the Lord. Here we go. Dear Lord Jesus, thank you that you love me and that you sent Jesus for me. I admit today that I'm a sinner and that my sin keeps me separated from knowing you. But today I put my faith, my trust in you, Jesus, that you came and died for me, that you took the punishment for my sin so that I might be forgiven. Heavenly Father, I receive your forgiveness. God, I ask you to fill me with your Holy Spirit. Make me new. I receive you as my God and as my Savior in first place. And I will follow you all the days.